0: and 34 seconds, so I've only got 25 seconds to get started, or I won't be started on 7 (laughs) o'clock. Well, it's good to see everybody. I wasn't expecting this many people here. Um, You guys are making me more nervous than what I should be. I'm just kidding. I was going to wear sweatpants so I could just stand back up here and just be comfortable and be warmer, but (laughs) decided not to. (laughs) But it's good to see you. Kenny asked me a couple weeks ago, if I would uh if I cover nine for this evening, I think he's uh on vacation there. I think I heard in Tennessee and um Bryce asked me the other day, he said, Are you ready? I said, No. <laughs> I got here just two weeks just went by so quick and I was thinking about, you know, what I would uh what I teach on. Most of the time when I'm asked, you know, I don't you know, I'm not consistently teaching in anything up here, so I just well, You know, what have I been reading? What's been kind of on my heart? Well, what I think would be interesting, and there was nothing in particular. I had just finished reading the Psalms, and um, I had never systematically went through the Psalms, so I didn't know what all the Psalms I had read and I had not read. So I decided a while back, I thought I'm going to go and read through the Psalms because so I systematically went through everything else. You know, at some point in my life, and this and that, and some other. Parts of the Bible, you know, different times. But I thought I've never went through Psalms, so I went through it and I finished it, and I kind of felt like oh, I really don't have a plan. What am I going to do? You know, I felt like I just um, graduated school with no direction. And I uh, just I just opened up First Samuel for some reason. I, I like history, and um, I enjoyed going through those um, several years ago when I did through um, First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. And I just decided to open up First Samuel again and start reading. And uh, so I sat down Sunday night, and I started reading, and I came through chapter 21, and I saw, man, I think I'm going to teach about that. I think I'm going to talk about that. Uh, And, you know, one of the things that I found is that, man, I forgot a lot of stuff from reading this. You know, you think, man, I think I'm going to remember this. And I'm like, man, I don't remember nearly as much as I had hoped. And then I thought, I think I'm doing a lot better job remembering it this time. And then as I was getting ready for this, I thought, you know what? I didn't do such a good job of remembering it this time either. So, you know, it just takes, you know, constant work to stay in, you know, the Word and just try to let things get in your mind and, uh, you know, take some time to study it and to look at the Word and and try to keep it in there. One of the guys I really like, he he gave a – his suggestion on reading the Bible was – you just divide it up into sections, and whatever it may be, and you just read it all. You read that section for 30 straight days in the New Testament. That's what he's really suggesting to the New Testament. It suggests us to read through the Old Testament um, through a year, just throughout the year, but you just take uh, Matthew has, I think, what, 28 chapters. Take maybe seven chapters and read those seven chapters every day for 30 days, and it'll help get into your head better, your mind. I, I never tried that um, thoroughly. I've done do different ways of reading it and reading multiple times, but I found that it stays in there better, but I still don't keep it in there like I would like for it to. I'm a slow reader. I'm a slow reader, so um, I'll try to read fast for you this evening. <laughs> uh, if we come to 1 Samuel chapter 21, basically what we're going to see is um, David, uh, you know, he's, he's going to tell a lie here to Amalicek. He's going to lie to him about something that's going to cause a lot of issues because of his lie. Because it's going to associate Amalek, it's going to make Amalek look as if he is aiding David in this thing that is going on between David and Saul. And we all are familiar with the fact that Saul um, started out liking David but soon after did not like him and wanted to kill him. But through God's providence, God kept David alive because um, God took that anointing off of Saul and later anointed David as king before he became king. And we go back to David and Goliath, just a few chapters over. We see David coming as, a, as that young man that he is, as he is now in this chapter, and we see Goliath coming out challenging Israel and those individuals hiding for days upon end, and maybe up to forty days, or so. Um, Goliath challenged them, and nobody would come out to fight him. And here comes David along, sees what's going on, says, "You know, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to go out there in the name of the Lord." And you know, Goliath had his armor on, had his sword, had his spear, had his um, shield bearer. Was I'm sure a a warrior who had not this has probably not been the first time he had done that, and I'm sure. He had probably killed a lot of people, um, and maybe in the same fashion, the same manner, by challenging someone. And, you know, David goes and puts on Saul's armor. It doesn't fit him, so he takes it off. He goes and he grabs five stones down by the creek, puts them in his pouch, and he walks out, and he confronts Goliath in the name of the Lord. And then all that time, what we find is that David tells a story to Saul because they're like, you know, how are are you going to be able to do this? How are you going to handle this? And he says, well, I've killed a bear with my bare hands and I've killed a lion with my bare hands when they came after the sheep. Throughout that time, God had been preparing David essentially for that one moment in history to where David was going to stand up against Goliath. And all those times that he had as a young man probably threw um, rocks out of that sling, um, using that slingshot and just for that moment. And I think it was very clear to David that what was going on and he had that confidence to go out there in the name of the Lord against that individual who defied Israel and defied not just Israel, but was defying God. And he went out there. And of course, we know the story. He threw that sling. He took that sling through that rock, hit Goliath in the head. It hit him so hard that it sunk in, broke his forehead. It's a very hard bone. Um, your frontal bone of your skull is. It hit him so hard that it sunk in. He fell down. If you read, he um, wasn't necessarily dead right then and there because then David went and got his own sword and took his head off. And we see that confidence that he has in God and we see God's providence and God's sovereignty because God is in control even over those situations, even over those times. Um, you know, when Saul had been a king for you know not that long and Saul was the first king and they're going out and they're fighting and the king, the leader of Israel, who's supposed to be the leader of Israel, is cowering and is afraid and they're all running back whenever Goliath comes out. But yet this one... Um, individual as David, who uh, we would understand is probably not as big as Saul physically, definitely wasn't as big as Goliath, trusted in God. And when we read that story, we see God's providence at work in David's life. And we're going to see how David had that confidence just a few chapters over, not too long before he comes to a point to where there's no longer confidence in the Lord. And he begins to tell a lie um, to try and protect himself, which then destroys others. One of the things that you know we throw around the term a lot. We don't really do it here, but a lot of people do. They they'll use that word. Well, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. This is a miracle. That's a miracle. And most of the time, it's it's not miracles. But what's happening is that what we are witnessing a thing is not anything that is less than amazing, but it is the providence of God at work, God's control in history. He's never not in control. He's always, the Bible says, the only potent, the only sovereign. He's in control of history. As we've said many times from this pulpit, um, both Pastor Kenny and myself and many others, God doesn't learn. He already knows. He never relinquishes that power. And how does everything working together? I don't know. I don't understand that. It's one of the amazing things about his providence. He's working all things together. All those moments of David's life when he through that rock, and he hit that tree. I mean, it was just, nonetheless, probably just came, came, comes back to his mind so sharply that it's like, oh, okay, this is becoming more than what I thought it was, just protecting sheep. It was more than what I thought it was in that moment, fighting that lion and that bear. You know, sometimes we don't always know, is this something that the Lord has wanted us to do? Is that door open? Was I supposed to go through it? Until sometimes we get on the other side and realize, God really opened that door. You know, we don't always know those things, you know. At least, I'm not getting dreams about it. And if you are, maybe we should talk about that because, you know, Revelation's complete and Revelation and um, through Genesis through Revelation that we have for Revelation is here in the Scripture. It's here in the Bible. So let's read um, chapter 21, first few verses here. Now it says, Now David came to Nob, to Amalekhek, the priest, And Amalekhek was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Amalekhek the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand. Whatever can be found. I just want to make a few things um, noticeable here. Um, Christ mentions this in uh, Matthew chapter 12. And he talks about because they were the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12 are upset because the Lord's disciples were gleaning the corn because they were hungry. And Christ refers them back to here when David ate the holy bread. David's going to eat this here. You would read on here in a, a few chapters, he gets some loaves, he eats it. They take those loaves off, they're putting on new, new loaves, and those loaves were supposed to be for the, the priest. The Bible didn't say that nobody else could eat it, but the normalcy was that the priest would eat that bread. It would be for them after it had spent its time on the, uh, on the altar there where it was supposed to be kept at. And later on on that day, well, when David got there, he was hungry. And because of that, the human need was more important than the ceremony because it was a real human need. David was hungry because he had traveled um, a distance. He had been hiding out from Saul. Um, He had ran because him and Jonathan, in the previous chapter, you would read that David, um, David had almost been murdered by Saul. Saul had tried to pin him with the spear. And what got Saul upset with David, you may not remember, but it was that song after they had come back from battle. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. After Saul heard the mass in the crowd singing those things, Saul was no longer favorable towards David. He wanted to kill him. He was kind of up and down with that. Sometimes, kind of like David, and other times not so much, wanting to kill him. Well, David had just been attempted uh, to be murdered by Saul And he went to Jonathan, and Jonathan probably didn't have that knowledge, and it doesn't seem that David told him what had just happened. But Jonathan said, now wait a second. My I believe that my father would tell me if he changed his mind about what he was going to do to you. So David said, It was a new moon, there was a feast coming about, and they were all gonna go sit in Saul's palace and eat, and there was a seat for David. Well, David, knowing what had just happened, it was one of those time and instances where we've probably been there. There's not a great relationship or there's a strain going on and Probably, hopefully, none of you have uh, had somebody try to murder you, and that's why you didn't go out to Thanksgiving dinner with him. You know what I'm saying? But David was there, and he's like, I really don't want to show up there. So he said to Jonathan, let me go. My, my brother's requested me to go back to my father's house because at this time of year there was, apparently was a custom where his family, it seems, may have gotten together and had a sacrifice um, during that, that particular new moon, that Sabbath that was going on. So Jonathan, basically said, okay. You go. When you come back, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to shoot some arrows. Whenever you hear me call to my servant where I want to get those arrows, that'll be my sign to you to know whether or not my father's coming for you. So he told David, he said, if I shoot it to the side of you and say, go retrieve those arrows to the side, you know it's okay. But if I shoot those arrows and I tell him to go beyond, that means that the Lord has sent you beyond. So get out of here and go and run and go hide. So when he came back from um, over in Bethlehem, Jonathan shot the arrows at the place where they were to meet, and David was hiding there. The arrows went beyond. He told a servant, "Go beyond, quickly, and get those arrows." David heard it. He takes off. He comes down here to Nob. He finds Amalek. Amalek sees him. Now, if you'd go to Matthew chapter twelve and you was to read this, you would see that. Did you not see what David did and his people who were with him or his servants? They got that, but Amalicek asked him a question. Why are you alone? So that was something that bothered me. I wanted to look at that. Why is he alone? Why is Amalicek saying this? Why did Christ say this? It's not a contradiction. We know Christ wouldn't be wrong on this. So what's going on? Well, I think there's a couple of things that we could look at this. David, and part of the lie that he told, and I'll explain exactly what the lie is here in just a moment, um, had some, maybe the lie and some truth into it. So when he said, why are you alone? What Amalekhek could have been seeing was that David had a small group of individuals with him that he had truly already sent off to somewhere else, and he was going to look for food and something, provisions to eat. Possibly Amalekhek saw the people, and because none of those were royal servants or people who should be expected to be with David, he therefore asked, why are you alone? Now. If you saw the president just walking here without the Secret Service and just a couple of guys who didn't look very official, no weapons or anything on them, we would probably ask kind of that same question: Why is he alone? Why is he not with the Secret Service? You kind of get what I'm going with that. Sometimes we make that. I don't know. It Seems like he had sent them off. That's what he said. He had sent them off. But nonetheless, Amlech noticed this. But what David did is that he told a lie. He didn't tell the the truth here. He was trying to self preserve himself. He was trying to. He was trying to. Um, Preserve himself. That didn't make sense what I said there. And he said, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you. You ever been there? You know, you told a lie of self-preservation. This is extreme self-preservation. Um, most of us would probably have told the same lie. You know, I probably would have told the same thing too because he knew that Saul was coming after him even though Earlier in his life, and probably not too much earlier in his life, God had provided for him in the fight against Goliath. Those spears that were cast at him were probably fresh in his mind, and God's provision of saving him wasn't as much as he went with Goliath, where Goliath didn't even get off the swing of the sword, but the sword, the spear just kind of went by David and he escaped. I remember, you know, I think about this question. If I lived in Nazi Germany at the time and I chose hide the Jews and they came knocking on my door would I say yes or would I say no they're down in my basement well I would probably say no if I hopefully was brave enough to take part in trying to hide and save people there's many situations to where we would probably lie and ultimately say well it's okay it's justifiable I heard a a pastor, a preacher not too long ago talk about this, and I was very interested because somebody asked him specifically, would you have lied if they would have come and knocked on your door and asked you if you were hiding Jews? He said no. He said there is no reason in any circumstance to where it is morally acceptable to sin. But we have to trust God's sovereignty. And that's hard because there are circumstances to where We may not want to tell because we may be protecting our child's life or something and so forth. Now, we don't have to tell everything we know. We just refuse to answer it. But what we're going to find here is that even in David's lie, God is still going to be gracious. But there's going to be a very high price that is going to be paid because of this lie. We have to always remember that God is sovereignly and providentially in control. It hurts sometimes to tell the truth, and it was going to hurt David if he told the truth here, possibly cost his life. So David tells this lie, and then he goes on to continue this conversation. He said that he has directed his young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what you have on hand, give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. Maybe he's going to share that. Maybe he's hungry himself. He gets five loaves. He also picked up five stones. I've heard some people say because Goliath had five brothers. Maybe David just likes the number five. I like the number five. That was my number in football. I still like that number. If you give me a number of one through 100, I usually pick five or 55. That's just, you know, my number. Maybe he just likes that number. I don't know. I heard one guy say it's the number of grace. That's why I actually picked that number four. I'm not verified it. I'm, I'm not real into You know, numbers and mathematical equations meaning things. Um, I just like that number. But nonetheless, he picks five loaves of bread. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. In other words, they haven't defiled themselves at least, have they? I mean, we're going to feel better about this if they haven't committed adultery or fornication along the way. And David says... Truly women have kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. I read something, read something interesting about the showbread, and it means, it means bread of faces, and it was to be eaten before the face of God. And to constantly be there is that warm bread. And the commentator um, said that the idea was that they would come before the Lord when they would eat this bread or that bread being there was for us to come with the idea of it always being fresh, that was always to be fresh bread. It was to be changed multiple times and baked throughout the day. And when we come to the Lord to be fresh, to look at him with that provision. And even in this lie, this time where David is lying, God continues to be gracious, and God is continuing to provide to him throughout this time. We know later on that David sinned with Bathsheba, and God judged him, and um, the child passed away that they had. We know that David ultimately could not build the temple, that Solomon built that because of things that David did. So there was judgment in David's life. But even at the end of David's life, we know where David went. He was in the presence of God. Even during this time, God was still being gracious and providing for him. But he was going to unfortunately have to suffer the consequences of his sin. So many times we will sin and we ask God to forgive us. And so many people believe and think that we're not going to see any consequences of it. We know how it is because many of us, um, well, I would say all of us in here at some point in time has broken the ninth commandment and told a lie. And then we've had to tell another one and another one. And to go on and to go on, and, you know, and it becomes just bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, David had to kind of play this off. And watch this. Watch what happens. So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there. This is an important point. That was there that day. And he d- detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg. And Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. I don't know if Doeg necessarily heard the lie that was being told on all what was possibly going on. Doesn't necessarily say, but he saw him there. And he knew what was going on. He was able to ascertain what was going on. So many times when we tell that liar, we don't behave in a way that is consistent with Christianity. There's somebody there. There's always that collateral damage. There's always that injury to our cloud of witness. And I've been there. I've been there, unfortunately, recently when um, somebody upset me and I responded in a way that I shouldn't have responded. I just got upset and I responded in that way and I shouldn't have responded that way. Sometimes I wish I could take it back, and other times I'm still upset about it. And I'm just being honest with you because it upset me, and um, it caught me off guard. But I still should not have responded that way. I still should have been angry because of what happened, but I should always be able to control where I'm at, and that's where I want to be at. And I hope, you know, learning from David here and trying to put this in here because there's coming a day, but I I think that we're going to be threatened more so than what we are, in this country right now, and I want to be able to control myself. You know, coming off the pandemic, you know, I realized that, you know, I'm not as strong as I thought I was, and, you know, that my community of believers is very important, um, you know, and I think that things could possibly get worse than just having to stay home, but there may come actual, you know, we're seeing those things as persecution, those threats to people's lives, and David had a threat to his life, and unfortunately, at this time and point, he decided to lie about it. So Doeg was here, and he heard this. And this is going to come very important here in a, few, in a few more verses over in chapter 22. Then David said to Amalek, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? Now, if David was on the king's business, it doesn't seem right that this man who has fought and slain his ten wouldn't even have a sword with him. You know, to most modern detectives, that would be a red flag. Maybe Amalekhek was more trusting in what this man had said, or maybe he was starting to scratch his head. But guess whose sword was there? So the priest said, the sword of Goliath. Of course, the sword of Goliath the Philistine is the one that's going to be there, that's being kept at that place. That should have reminded David of the provision that God had taken, and he knew that he was the one who used that sword to cut off the giant's head who was threatening the whole army of Israel. But yet now he's running from Saul. It's just not a coincidence to see the irony here. Those little things sometimes where God just says, here's your chance to stop. Here's the sword. We know that he knows about that sword. Sometimes I think that when we read, we just... We just take those words and we don't really think, man, what was going through his head now? I know what had been going through my head. I know what happened with this sword. I know what the Lord done. Unfortunately, he doesn't stop and choose to tell the truth. To trust in God's sovereignty, he continues to push through the lie. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that Take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. He was right. There's none like it. The most famous sword in Israel's history at that point. I don't know if there's a more famous sword or not, because I don't study swords of Israel's history. But I'd say that was a pretty famous sword at that point in time, wouldn't you? And I would say that David knew the significance, and not only did he know it, he did acknowledge it with his words there is none like it. Give it to me. So Doeg was there, and we come over to. I got to keep this here and make sure people hear me. So we come over to chapter twenty-two of verse six, and I want to just read some um, points and verses here, and uh, just get a few a few more points, and then we'll close. When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a terremisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand. Usually when his spear is in his hand, he's not in a very good mood. And all his servants were standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, "Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. Excuse me. I spilled that there. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Then guess what? Guess who answered? Then Doeg, the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, Oh, then answered Doeg, the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Amalachek, the son of that guy there, Ahitub. And he inquired, of, I did look up Doeg, so that is, that is not a guess on how you pronounce it. That is how you pronounce it. But I forgot to look up this guy's name. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So there he is. He's telling that lie. The doe egg is there. He hears and he sees, and guess what? It gets back to Saul. How many times have we been there? We've seen. We've done something. <laughs> I keep talking in that southern Ohio. We've done something. We've done something. And it gets back to where we were hoping it would not get back to. i, I got to try to you know, measure my words and think. Because some of the things that I do, I don't want to be caught in double talk so a lot of times I just don't say a lot of anything or to say something very general yes I understand what you're meaning I found that I have to be very clear and sometimes I just have to take a side on some things it's because that's just the way it is and sometimes people are going to be upset but I've just come to understand that and deal with that more as far as I know nobody's been trying to kill me though See, that kind of puts a different perspective on it, you know, when we look at that. Um, And you've you've been through those things, and you get back, and you look back through it, and you think, ah, I sinned. Lord, forgive me, and make me stronger the next time that happens. Sometimes it's happened again, and we've sinned again. You know, hopefully we get to that point in our maturity and in our faith in the Lord that we don't sin the next time, and we're bold, and we're strong, and we're able to stand up and stand for the truth of God's word and the trust in his providence and his sovereignty, even if it does come at the expense of something that could cause self-harm to us. The Lord doesn't ask for us to go die for him. Like a lot of other religions, you know, if you go out and, you know, you kill yourself and, you know, suicide bombing, you're going to get these rewards, but he does ask us to never deny him. You know we don't want to deny him. We always we don't want to be ashamed of him. He does ask us to not be ashamed of him. So I just want, I want to skip over um, in the story here. He, uh, Saul calls down Amalek and he says to him. This is in verse sixteen of chapter twenty two. The king said, "You shall surely die, Amalek, you and all your father's house." Then the king said to the guards who stood about him. Turn and kill the priest of the Lord. Before this, they had a they had a conversation about what had happened. And Amalachek says, I, I didn't know all this background of what's going on. Saul doesn't believe him. Why doesn't he believe him? Why does Saul think that he was given the sword? Because as far as Doeg knows, however it got to him, whether he literally heard the conversation, the conversation got back to him, or he just saw the interaction, he saw him leave. With the sword of Goliath. Saul was trying to kill him. If I have a sword and you have a sword, then we're both pretty even. Now he's got the sword of Goliath. It seems as if David's coming for him. Saul doesn't believe Amalek. Probably if I was the king, I wouldn't believe Amalek either. His actions, the things that occurred, were not backing up his story that he was trying to tell Saul, even though he was telling the truth now because of David's lie, it had intertwined much more than just David and possibly the men that were with him. But it was pulling in so many others who were going to have to pay dearly. And he said uh, to the guards, Saul did in verse 17, who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also... <coughs> is with David and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me but the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priest of the lord but guess who's going to do it so the king said to Doeg you turn and kill the priest so the man that heard it who told the king who was in the presence of the lie is going to be the one who's going to turn and kill the priest how many does he kill I can't talk very well right now. So Doeg the Edomite turned and he struck the priest, and he killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys, and sheep with the edge of the sword. Excuse me. Just, I mean, think about that. This is not, you know, this is a long time ago. This is real history that happened. in a much different culture in ours. But because of that lie, over 85 individuals were going to die. David tells the truth. I'm running from the king. Amalekhek may say, okay, well, come on in. I want to protect you, and I'm going to give you the glass sword. And maybe he's culprit protecting David. Maybe he says, I don't want no part of that going your way. Those men may live because of what David said. Nonetheless, God had anointed David. Even in the sin, God had anointed him, was still providing. There was going to be judgment, there's sacrifice for that sin. Christ ultimately paid for this sin on the cross. It was covered or overlooked or winked at by those sacrifices that were being made at that time and then the whole um, system being established. But ultimately Christ died and paid for that sin of David's lie on the cross 2,000 years later. But that one lie had that action and it caused the death of many people. It was very high up people. You know, David was, was up there with Saul. Saul was the king. And I know that we know from history... Kings killed people. Now one of the sons of Amalek, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. One of Amalek's sons survived, and he escaped, and he found David, and he told David what happened. They're all dead. So David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doeg, the Edomite, was there that he would surely tell Saul. What did he say? Did he neglect it? Did he turn away from it? Remember when Nathan said, and it came that story about the land that had been stolen from that man, and David said he ought to die, and Nathan turned around and said, you're the man. David got and understood that today he's also the man. And he says, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me you shall be safe. Like his confidence had begun to return. There's a couple of psalms that he wrote throughout this time, because he he goes to uh, another place in between this. Um he goes uh, to keys to the king of the king of Gaths there, and these people remember that saying that Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David's like, yeah, they're probably going to know that. They're probably going to try to kill me. And David begins to act like he's mad, scratching on the doors, foaming down his beard and all these things. Escaped and went around to this area and finally gets to this point. This son of Amalachet comes, tells him what goes on. Wrote a few psalms throughout that about being spared while he was um, by the king of Gath. Gath, when he was by Akish, his confidence come back around, and it seems when we end this point, he's acknowledged what he's done, and he knows the price of it. It was a very large price, and I don't think that any of us have ever had to pay that price down here on this earth for a lie that we told, I hope not. Like I said, ultimately, his lie was forgiven in the person of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. What's the point of this whole message, this whole thing, is this, you know, it's its never okay whatever circumstances are coming against us to sin. We sin in those situations. What's happening is that we are not trusting in the sovereignty of God. We're not trusting in his providence. <clears throat> One time there was a, a preacher that I knew from another church, he told a story his uh, wife and him had went somewhere They was going to go I think of some Christian singing and she had forgot her her medication her heart medication a very important medication and uh, they were getting ready to go back home it was a long drive and they were older and it wasn't no short drives a couple hours worth of drive they were at the hotel getting ready to stay all night and it was obviously going to be hard on them and it just so happened that his wife found a pill of her medication in her shoe of that she was able to stay there, take the medication. I remember that individual praying, you know, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. It wasn't a miracle. It was just the providence of God Just something happened and it's there to help you. Sometimes those things happen and we don't see God working all those little details out throughout life, throughout history, all those things that have to come together. The Bible teaches in Colossians chapter 1 that in Jesus, all things consist or literally hold together. By, and Hebrews tells us, by his word, he upholds all things. If he ceases to sustain that, there's utter and total chaos. The miracle is the invasion of the supernatural to the natural, The natural law is suspended, the supernatural invades, then it evades, and the natural law takes back over. A miracle is making wine or water into wine, is walking on water, is raising Lazarus from the dead, is causing a blind person to see. But it's not taking a stone and throwing it out to hit a giant. That's God's providence at work. And it's not not that it's not great. What I'm telling you is that it is great. And we need to give thanks every day to the fact that God is still sovereignly in control and his providence never ceases to be working in human history. It's amazing. And I want you to understand that. I want you to know that. I want you to get that. I want you to see that in that chapter. I want you to go read Esther that is the Lord's not I don't even think that even mentions the word God or Lord in that book but the providence of God it is so much on display in the history of that time period amen All right, thanks for being here this evening we're going to end with a a word of prayer I had prayer service um, before just a little bit thank you guys for being here um for listening and, and paying attention. Hopefully you learned something.